Hey, Tizzy. Hi, Will. I cannot wait for our conversation today with David Walker. Can you give us a little bit of background? Absolutely. So David Walker is from the United Kingdom and uh, he chairs the UK Water Safety Forum. So again, this interview, we're stepping out of our US state um, mode and we're going across the pond to learn uh, from our friends and colleagues in the UK. A couple things um, for background as you prepare for this interview. ROSPA is the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents. So you might hear David say ROSPA a couple times. That's what he's talking about. Um, you're also going to hear a term WADE. When we, when we hear WADE, they're referring to the Water Incident Database. Uh, and as a data nerd, they've got some really, really cool stuff happening in the UK around data, which we get to talk to David about. So WADE is the Water Incident Database. The only other thing that I think would be important for our listeners is um, just to know that an MP is a member of parliament, um, an elected person in, in a legislative uh, capacity. So with that, here is our interview with David Walker from the UK Water Safety Forum. I wanna start with the UK Water Safety Forum. And so I'm hoping you can provide a bit of context, but first would love for you to introduce yourself um, it's so good to talk to you. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got into water safety, and what your role um, is in the UK water safety sector? Sure. Okay. I'm David Walker, Head of Road and Leisure Safety for ROSPA, which is the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents. We host and look after the Secretariat for the National Water Safety Forum which is a collaboration of around about 100 national level organizations in the UK, um, strategic organizations who can, you know, we believe can make a change on water safety in the UK. Um, that's been in existence for, well, since around about 2006, seven in its current iteration. Um, the, the reason, um, why ROSPA and why, why myself is that ROSPA used to have a national water safety committee, which frankly was lots of people who used to sit in a room, talk around a problem, do nothing about it. And everybody used to look to the person in my role previously to do something about it and go away and feel quite good about themselves. Whereas the, the government looked at the problem, we looked at the problem and, and they decided to shake things up around about 2004 to 2006. And the outcome of that was the, the UK's National Water Safety Forum. So my role within that is I head the programs, I head the executive, um, I'm the, you know, the legal owner and the budget holder, um, and I work with an independent chairperson and an independent group of experts as, a, as kind of the principal advisory committee, but I own and look after the program basically with its staff team that will execute that in partnership with key people or deliver it directly in liaise with government and so forth. So we're the, the kind of the hub for the, for the UK network, although there are half a dozen really very big and really very strong organizations that sit alongside us and will lead completely on parts of that program as well. David, I'm wondering if I can ask a follow-up question and if you could talk a little bit more about strategic organizations and how you came to uh, decide and what kind of criteria you used for who's involved. So we, 
aligned our networks around three broad categories of organizations, groups of people, a risk creator, so a sports governing body, so forth, or a, you know, an activity provider, a regulator, so somebody who owns or manages that risk from a, from a government or a legal point of view, and then a, I think I call it a risk influencer. So other people such as landowners and people who can affect the, the reality on the ground. And that, that's our strategic choice for who comes into the network. And then there are other kind of variables, you know, how well aligned they are to us, but essentially it's those three criteria that we look for in members of the network. Can you describe what the Water Safety Forum does in terms of activities? So on a yearly basis, what are some of the outputs that the group has? So the, the, there are a number of pillars to, to our activities. And, and first and foremost, the core to that is the collective injury data we, we build. So the collective injury surveillance, which is through our WADE system, which is the Water Incident Database. Um, and that's that's the system again legally owned by Rossville, but in effect jointly held by um, the members of the forum, of which there's about twelve that are very key uh, data providers within that. And so that's one pillar, and we obviously that is something that's going on every single day. You know, so staff from my office, from Arl and I's office, which is the lifeboats office, from the Coast Guard office, from police and fire uh, fire and rescue services are talking every single day. This event happened, let's refine it. Where did they go to hospital? Let's find out. Which coroner is it going to? So forth, what's the causative, you know, what's the chain of events? What's the causative insights, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so just building up that picture, gathering that. And we we only really release the fatalities once a year. So often people just see it pop up once a year, but actually within the network, there's a constant feed of data. And we're doing, we've actually commissioned quite a big project to, to overhaul and enhance that system and uh, to do some really very smart stuff with the new version that's coming out in, a, in probably six months time. So that's one key tranche that we do. The other key tranche that I would say, uh, which people often overlook, is actually just maintain the network, main, maintain the capacity. And this is something, I, I say this to Justin sometimes when I, when I bump into Justin Sky, I say, you know, you, you stood up in Vietnam and said, let's build a platform for drowning prevention. And I kind of came back with Steve Wills and others from myself and said, okay, we, we've got, we've got kind of, you know, we've got a wonky raft here, but let's build, let's build a real solid platform. So we really consistently looked at how do we build capacity to address this? And it isn't just, you know, I could run around and I've got 220 days a year. I've got a number of staff to do that. I could never hit that problem on my own. So we build capacity building model. How do we enable others to do that? So there's two things to that is just knowing who's there, who owns the land, who can do it. So that sort of intelligence there, get them into the networks and get them talking and, and seeing our shared worldview. And then at the same time, starting to put some discrete products and services into that, advice, information, those sorts of things like that, uh, identifying problems. You know, we worked, we, we wrote part of the government's response for COVID-19 through the network. So we wrote the response for beach safety in the UK and the network wrote the response for, um, the network contributed very heavily to the response for our swimming pool opening um, response. And we were very quick and agile. And we could just literally pull people together a couple of days notice and say there's a task and finish group go off and do that there's the resources to do it so forth so building that capacity to respond is the second tranche that we do the third tranche which we haven't been that good traditionally but we're getting much better at is communications 
both within that network corporately and then externally to the to the public and then the fourth strand is guidance and outputs from the working groups so that could be government consultations that could be specific risk assessment advice that could be you know all, all manner of things you know how do, what what's the audit status of you know how many local authorities which are the councils how many of them have a plan you know have the core pillars that we see to be an excellent that so all those sorts of things there again the kind of external influence pieces and so forth and then i guess the fifth bit which is is communications but we think of it explicitly slightly differently is advocacy i don't know you've probably seen a couple of months ago but there was a petition in the uk about um from Becky Ramsey about uh, life rings, which garnered a hundred, couple of hundred thousand signatures, which triggers an event in Parliament where they need to talk about it. So that's a window of opportunity. So we worked with key landowners, we worked with the actual petitioner, and we worked with the civil servants who were receive, receiving that petition. And then we also worked with people who are affected by that. And we, we had a conversation to, to agree core messages and say, well, actually this group of MPs or this MP is probably here, you know, fairly agnostic and neutral on the situation. And we, we agree we want to move them there. So how collectively do we want to move them there? So we'll work together to feed in and coordinate those messages to move them from this point to that point. Um, and we'll do that on, on several issues. We do that with an open hand as well. So this isn't, you know, underhand lobbying. We do it quite quite openly and we do it quite transparently as well. But we will, we will consciously act to move somebody collectively from there to there. MPs and others are very very smart people and very very well connected people but how do we if they hear it just from me as a charity well if they hear it from me plus the fire service plus the coast guard plus the government agency plus 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 they'll go okay I'm going to walk through that door we'll use the pulse fatalities as windows of opportunity again I think somebody stood up at the world injury prevention conference and framed them that way and it's a really good way to think about it is that we'll use those windows of loss as opportunities to make positive change and we're quite conscious about about doing that you can't do that with everyone and you shouldn't because we just burn people out but we'll choose you know key events to say this you know we've framed this and this needs to move so kind of four pillars with, within there really and then other outputs rosper rosper itself and we run it as rosper uh, just because just because of a schism with our, the way our events team work and so forth we run a national wealth safety conference which is november the 18th if, if somebody wants it's an online one if somebody wants to see it but we'll get we can get you a video clip from that uh, and then there'll be a series of events and networks and so forth, get-togethers. Um, and then just on a practical level, one of the things to do which actually really, really greases the wheels is we'll bring them together at nice places. We'll spend a nice day in a nice place, which actually, if you're a civil servant, you don't always get to do. Or if you're somebody who sits behind a desk, we can say, OK, we'll have a meeting there. We'll have a nice day. We'll do some learning and we'll get some shared values. And we can use the network that way as well, which... You know, sounds sounds quite glib, but actually goes a long way to goodwill, which a lot of this network runs on is goodwill. Goodwill, sticky notes and tea it runs on as well. That's the that's the other inputs. <laughs> I think um I think Will and I have got to put that conference on our list. That's right. I'm I'm gonna ask you how you use a um, drowning that's occurred as you, you stated it as a window of opportunity to raise awareness or to generate action. If you can, um, if you can share with us how, how you do that. When a drawing event happens, you can view it as it's happened, we leave it alone and we come back to it, or you can view it as a window of opportunity. And we view it as the latter. 
And what we try to do with that is very quickly take the learnings from that with the people who are you know, either effective or could see that again in their, in their space. And then again, we'll say, well, what's the learning from that? What do we need to do from that? Is it a strategic repeated issue? And again, we'll apply that learning either through the network, as in, you know, there was a failure X, Y, and Z, or actually politically and structurally or from a systems point of view, this is a repeated indicative effect and therefore we'll, we'll move it out. So uh, we very much consciously view drownings as a window of opportunity. There is grief and individual support that we need to do for families and communities, but equally we reframe that as much as we possibly can to say this is an opportunity. And, and, and ethically, I'm quite okay with that because again, if we just accept the fact that they'll die, then the next person will die and so on and so forth. So again, sometimes people have to get their head around that concept of it's a window of opportunity, but again, that's what we're there for is to advocate to stop the next drowning. Thank you. Uh a uh, conversation, I think, in any coalition is very important to have early as well, right? So you can be well positioned um, if the organization decides that responding to tragedy in that way is something they want to do. Um, that's not something that happens on a whim after the event, right? That's something that um, your group is is prepared for and, and planning for. So, um, one of the things that uh, I was just going to share, one of the things that we began to do uh, with the Washington Drowning Prevention Network was to annually have um, like a faith person come in and just acknowledge the loss of people in our state and how many people are affected and just to take that moment. Mm -hmm. And the other thing... Um, that we have tried to do is bring families in to talk a little bit about it. So then we hear about it from the family perspective and they're ready to also hear what does Marine Patrol have to say? How do we move it from that yeah. grief to action? Um, but I, I appreciate yeah. how you're incorporating thinking about that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah definitely. And we, um, I mean, we look to the US, we have a, a Proto Network uh, families against drowning in the UK mm -hmm. so we have a series of parents who will come to the members and we've, we've started to point them to this again families against drowning network which again is um, from a strategic point of view it's really very useful I would say because um, quite often they will take an absolutist position um, and quite a, a, an effective position you know I, I think one of the one of the scariest sites for a senior civil servant or a political holder is a group of angry, motivated mothers stood outside saying, why is my son, daughter gone? And why is this a repeated event? That's a very, very sobering thought, even for some of our more hard-nosed politicians. So that's that, you know, that's effective there. Um, but again, yes, we, we do that. And then we do some more systematic things like we have um, investigation reviews and actually the, the projects I mentioned before with WHO is um, you know we're formalizing some of our Delphi processes for structured review and learning so we have we have a couple of key processes you know about life jackets and stuff would would this be amenable to prevention so we're starting to formalize them and then we're going to look to scale them probably over the next few years because that's that's one of the areas where we, we feel we need some more uh, evidential base but again that's effectively um, looking at these learnings quickly and systematically and then scaling that learning across. So it almost comes like a, a rapid alert system when it, through, in the, through in the network. Or, well, a rapid and a thoughtful alert system. I, I want to move us on, but one thing that just is continuously shining through our conversation here is how 
your group relies on data. Um, right when we asked a little bit about structure, the first thing you said was data and repeatedly the use of evidence and the use of information um, is is coming up as as very informative and foundational for your activities, which is really um, good to hear and I think important for people who who are looking to do some coalition work in the water safety space um, mm -hmm. to, to learn from. So I want to move us on to facilitators and barriers. So would you share with us a couple facilitators that you um, have experienced, a couple of the successes of the, the Water Safety Forum, and then we'll move on and chat a little bit about challenges. So first, yeah, what are some of the big successes that you've seen in, in your years uh, working with the Water Safety Forum? I think, well, let, let's, let's touch upon the data one. Well, I think that that's, that is quite clearly, uh, first one, the, the part of this current iteration of the forum was born out of the fact that we as a country couldn't really count the numbers you know we didn't have one agreed figure we didn't have one agreed view on risk it was all a little bit uh, messy mm. so one of the early things we did was to build wade we commissioned pilots and build wade organizations such as royal life saving society ross for ourselves arrow and i we used to have these other we used to have these kind of um, semi-joined pilots, you know, the semi-joined schemes that wouldn't always conflict. And we just went, okay, we're going to put them to one side, which was a brave decision for, for mm -hmm. us to get rid of them because those, you know, those pay a lot in terms of PR and so forth, those, those windows for them. Uh, and say, okay, we're going to have one system which gets us to one figure, which grows there. So that's a big, big success for us. I think the other one, which is a bit less concrete, but every, every bit as important is trust. So early on, uh, maybe, maybe about 2010s or something like that, we had a series of high profile fatalities. They could have resulted in corporate manslaughter cases, which is the highest, you know, the highest kind of punishment you can have for a company in, in this country. And we, you know, we worked in that network to deal with some of the fallout and some of the issues there. We didn't, the network in its old iteration, or the members in the old iterations would just have gone head to head and had this massive fight in the press about these. Whereas we sat down and said, okay, you could do that, or you could sit down collectively in this room, in this space of trust, and work through why and work through what needs to happen, and then sit down and, and turn that into a program, which is what we did. We took that option B. So that those kind of having them in the room and facilitating that trust, and then them collectively saying, okay, we're not going to make a public bonfire out of this. We're going to deal with that. That's a really key one for us. And I think the third one, which is probably where people pick up from us, is the formulation of the UK's strand prevention strategy. I think that's that's you know our, our public document. Um, we spent a long time, maybe two years, thinking about that. The first iteration of that, we failed. We completely failed on that. We missed the mark by a long way. We were just you know not ambitious or radical enough. Um, you know that. Was it 2016? That should have been out 2014, and we were, we, you know, we were a long way away from it at 2013 and 2014. Um, but that that really was a conversation involving the whole network, and really was the point where people outside of the network went, "Oh, hang on, there's something, there's something interesting going on here." You know, the, 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 we're doing something smart. And if you look at the way that we frame the targets, if you look at the way we frame the goals, you look at that, we've got over 60 organisations to say we're going to commit to a 50% reduction and do something about it. That's a big, that's a big leap because we have a group of CEOs that turn around and said, "Okay, I'm going to commit to that," which 
has board level implications for some of them as well. So, so that's a really big one to get from where, you know, four or five years before we were nowhere near that, whereas actually to publish that and for that to be then sponsored and owned by government is, it was a real big indicator. And, and from, from that point on, that strategic framework really guides everything we do. And again, it's probably a fourth one, which I don't know if you went and asked somebody else in the network, is, is it that important? I wouldn't say necessarily would be able to articulate it, but for me it is. We have a, we have a, a document called our, our Guiding Principles, which kind of encapsulates and formalizes some of the things. So an example would be that we agree that no activity can be made completely risk-free. Now that doesn't, you know, that may not be, you know, that doesn't always, if you don't think about that properly, some people say, well, that's not a zero harm, you know, a vision zero strategy. We say, well, actually, we cannot kill people, but we can actually still keep some risk in there. So if you go surfing, well, there's some risk in that, there's some risk inherent in that, but we equally can do things so that there are not lots of people killed with that. So there's, the, you know, there's some kind of quite core principles and worldviews in there. And we develop that from things like, uh, our, our views on nuclear risks and our views on managing public risks and, uh, and other things like that. Would the members be able to say that? No, but actually it permeates through what they do and the decisions that, that they make, absolutely. Because, and again, because any member of staff who comes on is trained in them and understands them and actually gets them. Now, from, from your point of view as a, you know, I think you're a trained epidemiologist and others, they're kind of fairly obvious to you, but they're not necessarily obvious to a practitioner. And it just makes them reframe some of their decisions uh, in, in the way that they tackle things. They think of it as systems and tolerance for risk rather than absolutism and um, doubts must. It just reframes sure. the conversation. I want to go back and, and ask a follow-up on trust. So in the UK, and I think in most geographies, there are complex stakeholder landscapes that require really careful navigation. And you have arrived, you're describing a situation now, which I think is a very positive environment where you have big organizations with big responsibilities all working together towards the same thing. Um, how do you do that? What recommendations would you have for folks who are working in stakeholder landscapes where there are big egos and people who have been working in this area for a long time and institutions that have been working in this for a long time? What sort of recommendations would you have um, to help people try and facilitate a, a healthy and collaborative environment like that? Trust is one of the absolutes that we have. I don't, I don't have many absolutes, you know, rules of the way we work here, but I think trust is one of, one of the absolutes. It's an ongoing process. There's going to be challenges. You know, you start, you start the ball rolling on this network and there's always going to be bumpy bits and challenges. And there are a couple of things that I say to all, all our kind of team members, and we have this kind of, when we meet, well, we used to meet quite regularly and, and, and talk this through. But when we meet, you kind of say you're going to have these bumpy moments in terms of trust and challenge. The key thing for us is to be clear both individually and organizationally whether you want your name to be known or you want to know, make a difference. Because that often boils down to the, you know, the trust equation for me. 
is you know, do, do you want to be known as the, per, the person who you know saves this or do you want to actually make a difference and uh, we've had we've got a network with enough of a corporate memory where they can see both outcomes and both types of people within the network and actually the net the network's quite good at chewing out the latter person they either get ironed out or they ironed out in organizations I think in reflection, you know, trust is central. It's an absolutely central thing. And whoever you choose to lead or facilitate this um, has to understand that. The, the challenge moments, you know, when there's a crisis, either, you know, for whatever reason, you know, there's often a key question. And it's whether that person or organization wants to be known or have the press or PR, the prestige of being seen about this, or they want to, to make a difference. Because when, when we're attacking drowning, you need to attack it from multiple points. It's a complex event and therefore it needs multiple complex things. And it's rare that there's one organization that can do that. We can teach children to swim, we can change environments, we can increase SAR and A&E work. But, but it's very hard for one person to do, to do all those things. So we've got to work together. And by definition, that means you sometimes have to subjugate your own needs and sometimes your organizational needs to this collective approach because it's a systems challenge. So that's where the trust challenge comes in. I think the second point in trust is it's something that you have every single day. You know, it's a bit like the personal brand reputation question. You know, you, you can spend years building it up in seconds to, to knock it down. I think it's the same thing. It's those key decisions. You have to, you have to view it through that. Is what is better? What's the best thing for the strategy? What's the best thing for the outcome? I think the other, you know, the other tools we use quite a lot to build trust our facilitation. So we'll bring in neutral facilitators. And we'll use things like logic models as well. So we'll take people through logic models. And again, it gets them away from, I can do X versus what is the outcome, which actually is quite helpful from a trust point of view. This has been such a rich conversation and uh, we just are so grateful for you, your time and this expertise that you're sharing is absolutely phenomenal. You, we have a lot, uh, to take away and to think mm -hmm. about and consider for the California Coalition. Are, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today? Um, I guess, just com coming back to your question on facilitators, I think when we wrote the strategy, we explicitly made some choice choices to frame it in a number of ways. We frame it through a political lens, through a technical lens, through a societal lens and so forth, which again, sounds quite technocratic, but when you actually do it, it means I can talk, we can talk to a mother, we can talk to a politician, we can talk to the public, and we're quite conscious about how we're framing those windows and, and, and within those windows, what we want to do. So all of our conversations have the kind of offer ask framework in which you would have heard, you know, this, this, this is who we are, this is our offer, this is what we ask of you. And we're very, very conscious about how we communicate now in, in, in that regard. So that's quite core. And then I think the other one is just be brave get out there and make it an issue for a politician to, you know, make it an issue, but give them a solution as well. You know, this thing needs a million quid. And if you do this, then it will make a difference. You know, be brave. Our, our current chair, Don Whitaker, who's um, a chief executive of a fire authority, and she was an advisor to the prime minister beforehand in a previous life, you know, is really very much, you know, really very much, I, I will put it onto a politician's or a leader's toes. So we're very much 
you know, we would consciously pick and work with people who can do those things. So be brave as well as the other thing, you know, yeah. yeah. That's it well, for me, really. Uh, David, thank you so much. There, yeah. uh, This conversation has been so informative and, and so good. I, um, I so appreciate your careful and thoughtful ethos with this work. Um, you know, it is, it's apparent that you are a deep thinker and that your the actions of the UK Water Safety Forum are um, deeply rooted in, in, in belief, yeah. right? Um, which I think is so, so key. So thanks again for, for yeah. your time. And don't don't we're not we're not afraid to have a scrap as well don't don't you know don't don't think it's not, not all right. we're not we're not playing we're not just playing chess we're not we will we will have a scrap and fight dirty too if needs be again <laughs> tactics we will use tactics you know but that there is the other side of it as well which um, often doesn't air but we are you know we will have a scrap too if need be and you know that's not a bad thing in itself if you if you can still you know still talk to people at the end of that so yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. but yeah okay Thank you, David, so much. Yeah, thanks, David. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Really great. Great to see you. Take care. Bye. Bye.